And now it's time for another Dr. Film Podcast. Session trying to sort out a curse that causes a dual identity between the pompous Dr. Film and the mild-mannered film historian Eric Grayson. Listen as we hear his German counselor, Dr. Lotta Marlena, as she works to unravel the curse. So, when did you first learn of your dual identity, Eric? I was cursed by the film fairy. She wanted to make me a superhero, but... She came to one of my shows, and she was really offended by what I ran. Well, what did you run? Alice in Wonderland by Bud Pollard. Oh, I saw that. I'm surprised she let you live. It's her revenge on me. Now, whenever I see a movie projected badly, or someone complains about watching a black-and-white film, or any of a thousand things happens, I turn into Dr. Film. But how's he different from you? Well, he's pompous and condescending and intolerant of anything anti-film. For example, he wants to rip into this bad review of Little Orphan Annie. And you don't want to? No, the woman who wrote it is being cute to get more web hits and wrote it to be snarky. If I dignify her response with anything, it just makes her worse and brings her bad review to the top of Google. doesn't help at all. And Dr. Phil? He wants to rip into her review like a starving jackal and take it apart a word at a time. Well, that sounds like it might be fun to hear. It would be for him, but not for me. I'm trying not to turn into Dr. Film until things cool down. Oh, what's that? It's a text from the museum I work for. They want me to run some film. Cool. Oh, no. It's the Wizard of Oz. Again. Not again. Oh, come on, really. It's the fourth time this year. Don't they realize there were thousands of other films that... I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Not again. Why won't they run something else? Anything else. Anything. I'll get you, my pretty. <laughs> Put the mask on now. Put the mask on now. Norman? Norman? Oh, no. I'm afraid we've lost him. Yeah, I'll run Wizard of Oz again. Sure. They want me to run the same five films over and over again. Sure, I'll do it. But they're going to get an introduction like they'll never believe. And I'm billing them overtime. Lots of overtime. Those popcorn monkeys are going to pay. I tell you, pay! Later, deep in his vaults, Dr. Film and his assistant, Anamorphia, discuss the bad review. Well, Dr. Pompous, I'm surprised the museum didn't fire you after that showing of Wizard of Oz. They asked for it. They wanted me to run the soundtrack with Pink Floyd, and I gave them just what they wanted. Yeah, but they wanted Dark Side of the Moon. Well, I played the wall. Slight error. There were a lot of kids who ran out of the theater screaming. Serves them right. Fourth time this year. Well, we've got to get into the Dr. Film mailbag again. Lots of questions. How did you get to be my postal secretary and my film vault assistant, Anamorphia? You didn't want to hire two people. Yeah, that was a good idea. I'm a genius. <laughs> You're a tightwad. Okay, well, let's blast through these questions. Well, the first one is for me. 
Oh, I can't wait. Did you see that snarky review of Little Orphan Annie that was posted in... Okay, I'm taking that out in post. Why? Because I did see it, and I didn't want to dignify it with a response. Well, she hated the film, and she made fun of it. She hated the unrestored version that's missing five minutes of footage and is in the wrong order. She wouldn't even look at mine. <laughs> Doesn't matter. She's the first review people see on Google, and no one will order your film after seeing her review. If I get some other mainstream places to review it, it might knock hers down a couple of pegs. Yes, but no one takes you seriously. You only have one major release, so they're going to skip over you like an old record with gum on it. Dated simile. Like a CD that's been sandpapered. Dated simile. Like an MP3 player with a bad hard drive. Okay, I'll let that pass. This is why I love this. You worked your guts out on this film and it's being completely torpedoed by someone who didn't even see it. And now you may never be able to afford your next project. If I can't afford my next project, then I can't afford to keep my film vaults open. And the first casualty will be my film vault assistant. <laughs> I uh, hadn't thought of that. <clears throat> so how are you going to respond to this snarky review? Do you have any possible recourse? Well, she wrote her review in a rip-off of Dorothy Parker's review style. Oh, you talk about dated. Dorothy Parker was a member of the Algonquin Roundtable in the 1920s. She used to write cutesy book reviews as Constant Weeder, a baby talk version of Constant Reader. Parker was a friend of Harpo Marx, Charles MacArthur, Robert Benchley, and Alexander Wolcott, among many others. She was maybe the wittiest of a whole room full of wits. They loved insulting each other. Ha! A woman after my own heart. So what? Well, I've crafted a response to her smarmy Dorothy Parker-style review by writing a review of her review in Alexander Wolcott style. Wow, you've managed to alienate about 90% of any modern audience. I do that just by running black and white films. Okay, so let's hear it. My alter ego is screaming at me not to do it. He says to take the high road and let bygones be bygones. Your alter ego? Oh, Eric? No one listens to him. Indeed not. Not ever. Okay, then. Let it go. Let's hear it. Dear Constant Weeder, Your review of Little Orphan Annie strikes me as being ill-informed and ignorant. Your dogged referral to it as being twee and full of baby talk unfairly impugns the literary legacy of Mr. Riley, a feat he nearly accomplished himself through interminable readings in his inebriated state through the last years of his life. Mr. Riley was not engaging in baby talk of any kind. Indeed, he was actually indulging in another tired technique, the use of native dialect in writing. Had Constant Reader actually wed enough to know it, she would be aware that this technique is both dubious and time-honored, and no less a literary light than Mark Twain used it in his novels. I would refer the reader to Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, two novels of which she must not be aware. This, of course, has no bearing on the cinematic merits of Little Orphan Annie, which, of course, is marred by a slipshod ending that was dictated more by the syrup-loving public than by Riley himself. One also has to question the constant weeder's condemnation of the film based on the version she had available to her. As it was heavily edited and out of sequence, your condemnation is rather like becoming an atheist after reading a bad translation of the Bible in tiny print that starts at Deuteronomy, wanders into Genesis, and then stops somewhere near Romans.
Your lack of faith may have still been borne out later, but at least you should have the benefit of the full text. Yours truly, Alexander Wolcott. Oh, I don't know. I was hoping for something better. So apparently was Constant Weeder. Next question. Well, this one is from a Mr. Jeff K. from Alabama who writes, I compared your restoration of Little Orphaned Annie to the DVD I had for years, and your Blu-ray has some cropping and no black levels. I like the DVD better. Ah! What's wrong? My alter ego is screaming at me not to do this. What is this? It's like the inverse of the Incredible Hulk. Don't say that. It might be legally actionable. Oh, yeah. Disney owns that. (laughs) Anyway, ignore Eric and rant on, Dr. Film. That DVD you have is transferred so that the entire frame, including the areas that would be cropped by the silent aperture plates, are showing. It was necessary to crop 1 or 2% of the image so that it would fit back into a proper film frame. In projection, you would never see this. Furthermore, many of the titles on the DVD were cropped because they were printed wrong in 1926, and I fixed them. (laughs) Well, what about the black levels? He's got you there. Not by a mile. That low contrast look was consistent in the 16mm and the 35mm prints, and I left it alone. It looks a little funky, but it's the way it always was. And further, that high contrast look is because the DVD was transferred on bad equipment and it was blown out in transfer. The original print probably didn't look anything like that. Wow, I guess you showed him. I get tired of these whiny people who think they could have done better than I did. My answer to them is always this. Yes, but you didn't. When you've had to make crucial decisions to restore a film, then you can come to me and whine. Our last questions are from Antonia G., who writes, What is your favorite Lon Chaney film and why? Well, I hate to pick favorites, but I would say probably The Unknown, because it's so much fun to watch with an audience. It's very over-the-top and almost silly as it progresses. Then the audience stops laughing, and by the end, they're enmeshed in it. Do you remember the first silent film you may have watched? Yes, it was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in a boat in Bloomington, Indiana, somewhere about 1976. Wow. Continuing her question, the joys of watching any film with an audience. The audience applause as Homo the German Shepherd saves the main character from drowning in The Man Who Laughs. Little kid belly laughing at Chaplin in City Lights. Question, any more examples? Yes, a lot of them. Films need to be seen with an audience. They were made that way. I saw the restored little orphan Annie with an audience, and they cheered for the poor cat who kept being thrown out the window, or the audience that groans at the end of the unknown. I also often get calls to run Young Frankenstein for an audience, and that film is downright scientific in the way its laughs are timed. If you watch it by yourself, you're missing something. So if you'd like to have your question featured here, email Film. A-S-K-D-R-F-I-L-M at drfilm.net And if you're interested in seeing Little Orphan Annie, please check www.drfilm.net slash Amazon. That was a shameless plug. Did you put the t-shirts up there? Not yet. Well, what about the pilot? Shut up! Shut up!